starting lineup of your favorite show and producer, 5'11 from Blanchester, the cow killer, Casey McCollister, and comic engineer, standing at 4'8, the pride of the west side, Elliot Rearing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Got to be honest, probably not the best situation I've ever been in. Very first show that I'm going to host here on Off the Bench. And the very first thing that I have to do is talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. And more importantly, Patrick Mahomes winning a Super Bowl. We'll obviously talk about that. We'll talk about many other topics, as you can see here on the, uh, the new graphic system that Casey McCollister's worked very, very hard on. But... Before we get into all that, I just want to say thank you to all of you that have continued to tune in. Realistically speaking, the reason that we continue to do this show is because we have such a loyal audience. We don't want to let you down, and uh, in the meantime, I'm going to try to find somebody who's, uh, who's a relatively good host, but I'm going to try to do my best in a short amount of time here to fill the gap. Maybe I can be a little bit better than Brock Purdy. Maybe I can be a little bit better than Jake Browning. But those two guys, I think, have done an admirable job. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Talk about college hoops. I promised Mouse Cop that I wouldn't talk about college hoops the rest of the year. I guess I'm just going to have to be a liar. So we're going to talk about that. What the Bearcats have in store. What Xavier has in store. A little NKU nugget for all of you Norse fans out there. We know Casey's a big fan. And then we have the waste management at the very end of the show if we get to it. And by waste management, the wasted management, and what the PGA Tour should do moving forward. Before we get to all of that, though, since this is the very first show, I do want to explain what is going on. It felt like that was tried. To, it was tried to be communicated the last show, um, and for whatever reason, like anything else, it's like lost in translation, right? You play that game where you tell one thing to the, the first person, the next person tells the next person, the next person tells the next person, and after about four or five people. The story is completely wrong, so, as I've said before, why not just get it straight out of the horse's mouth? Now, I saw, I saw a little funny little clip of where that came from, and uh, Chatterbox Reds, and I, you know, might as well mention here. Straight from a horse's mouth was a way in which you could go and find the age of a horse during horse races. So instead of hearsay, you could go straight to the horse's mouth, look inside of it, and you could tell how old it was. That's the fun fact of the day. I don't know if I'll continue to give you a fun fact of the day, but we'll try to do that moving forward. We'll also have a question of the day here a little bit later. But first, let's tell you about where we're at, what we're doing. As many of you know, obviously Tom sat in this very seat. Casey sat in that seat for a long time. We've had a, a, uh, a plethora of people that have sat in the seat next to Casey. Now, obviously, Reed joined the show. Where is Reed? Is Reed on this show? He's not on the show right now. So for the time being, it's myself, yours truly, right here in the host chair. Casey McAllister running the, uh, the mixer over there. We got Elliot Rearing, who's going to provide, I don't know what, to be honest with you, and the seat next to him. Spirit. And then uh, from time to time, we'll have some guests over here in the lovely chairs that you come to know. But you might ask, where's Reed Mouse? Reed Mouse, Reed Mouse. Listen, I'm not trying to avoid the guy, okay? Yes, he might have been right about Kansas City, and he's going to let us all know about it. 
until the end of time. I'm well aware of how that's going to go. But he's going to host Box Lunch right after this. Um, I suggest we make Box Lunch free for today, right? You want a free I, Box Lunch? I think, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think it's fair. only fair. I think that's fair. Um, so we'll do Box Lunch right after this. And then we're going to continue to do more and more content moving forward. And again, like I said before, the goal really for Off the Bench this whole time was to take local stories that we all care about and talk about them maybe a little more in depth that you would get anywhere else. And the fact that the show came on at 10 a.m., it usually, at least with asterisks here, I don't know about every single show in the entire world, but usually it's the first show on the air when anything happens that's local. So we'll continue to do that. But obviously when the Super Bowl happens, it seems malpractice not to at least talk about that. But before I get started, I just want to remind everybody, this show starts at 10. Hey. Hey. And we don't know if it's going to run to 12. P. Quite yet. <laughs> and the reason is because we're not sure about hardly anything at this very moment of what we want this show to be. But I can, t I can tell you this. The fact of the matter is, the reason we're doing this show, genuinely, is because we've built up a community, we've built up a chat, we've built up people that like, that like to, uh, whether, you, whether you care about who's sitting in the chair or not, you like to be a part of the conversation, and, and basically my goal moving forward is just to continue to provide areas of opportunity to have those discussions. So the first discussion is obviously the Super Bowl. Here's the thing. I was watching that game last night, and whether or not you had money on one side or the other, that's pretty much most people's fandom, right? That's where your, uh, that's where your fandom lied for almost all of us. Many of us maybe didn't really want either team to win. Certainly many Bengals fans, uh, those that at least got to see the Super Bowls prior weren't huge fans of the 49ers, and certainly anybody that's been a fan of the Bengals of, re of recent time, outside of Reed Mouse, I don't know how you could really root for the Chiefs. I've had a problem with the Chiefs for a few reasons. I've always felt like they got the benefit of the doubt. They got the call at the end of the game. There was something fluky that happened, and it just always seemed to bounce the Chiefs' way. That was until last night. This is the first time that I remember watching a big game where I felt like the Chiefs, for the most part, were on the opposite end of a few big calls. Now, certainly the holding call towards the end of the game where it was overtime, first possession for the, for the San Francisco 49ers, Purdy hands the ball off, right end tackle to... Um, it wasn't even Christian McCaffrey, but long story short, there's a hold. Would have been first and goal, but instead, second and 12th. That's a big call, yes. But I thought the call was right. I thought the call was right. You also have the personal foul earlier in the game that went against the Kansas City Chiefs, and you had the biggest call of the game, in my opinion, which would have been, if the 49ers were to have won, the holding call that they called on the uh, third down play that allowed... San Francisco to get a fresh set of downs. And as Tony Romo reminded all of us, that, was a, that is a big difference between punting the football there and getting a first down. So I do appreciate Tony for, uh, for giving, us, giving us that insight. Here's the thing. I, I don't know why it always has to be this way, but it's going to be that way. And that's what I came to terms with last night. 
the quarterback is going to get too much credit or too much blame no matter what happens. No matter what happens. And the perfect example of all perfect examples was the Super Bowl last night. Now, Patrick Mahomes had an admirable game. That's what I'll call it. I'm not going to call it great. I'm not going to call it average. But it was admirable. And the, and the reason I would say that is because, yes, he got his team in a position to win. And that's ultimately what your job is to do as a quarterback. Yeah. But there were so many things outside of Patrick Mahomes' control last night that had to happen for him even to get the ball in overtime. I get why we want to make it out to be the quarterbacks. But can we just admit one thing moving forward? The one thing I took away from last night is that the one ingredient that you must have to win a Super Bowl is you must have a good defense. You go back and you look at history's past, you start to ask yourself, what was the difference? What was the difference? Do we think that the main difference last night was the quarterback play? Because I didn't see it that way. The quarterback that ultimately is getting called the GOAT now and rightfully so. He's won Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And I was the first one hand up to say, I thought he was a little overrated. I think he gets a little more credit than he deserves. I think he has an unbelievable team around him, an unbelievable system. And he ultimately is a good player. But to put him as the greatest of all time and insert him into Tom Brady talks immediately seems a little malpractice. However... There was one quarterback yesterday that turned the ball over, and there was one that didn't. There was one quarterback that, yes, made plays for his team, and maybe you could argue the other one didn't, but I would argue that the difference ultimately lied, came straight down to the fact of the matter is, is that one team on third and short could turn around and hand the ball off and make a play, and the other team didn't. It was third and four multiple times or third and short multiple times yesterday and and Kyle Shanahan of all the decisions that he made and we'll get into them he did not trust turning around and handing the ball off to what we think is the greatest running back of our generation and he left it in the hands of a guy that was the last pick of the draft now that's no slight on Brock Purdy but when I watched that game last night I didn't think for a single second Casey and Elliot, and I know Elliot's going to sit here and turn this into a, a Brock Purdy shtick, maybe. I don't know if he actually believes what he says in here or not. But I did not think for a second when I watched that game that the quarterbacks were the main story. No, but I, I, I'll say this. Patrick Mahomes, like when you need points on, on your last drive to extend your season, there's quite literally not another quarterback in the world you'd want. Brock Purdy had the opportunity to drive down and score a touchdown. And we'll get in, into all the intricacies of the overtime rules, the new overtime rules in, in a minute. But when Patrick Mahomes is down three with your season on the line, there is quite literally not another quarterback in the league that I have more confidence in uh, to, to come up with a task. Now, you were talking about, you, you know, the Chiefs uh, maybe being overrated. This season, what the Chiefs have done – uh, is, is quite honestly one of the more impressive feats in NFL history. They were forced to play, this is just this season, they were forced to play six straight games at a rest disadvantage, weeks 12 to 17, the only time a team has had to do that in NFL history. 
They had to play in Germany. They didn't get a first-round bye. They had to play on the road in the divisional round as an underdog. They had to play on the road in the conference championship as an underdog and in the Super Bowl. It was the toughest path to the Super Bowl based on strength of schedule ever. And they still win the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, again, cement, cemented himself last night as the second greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady's the GOAT. You can't question it right now. But Patrick Mahomes, without, without a doubt, uh, is the second greatest quarterback. Now, to Trace's point, it was a defensive battle. I mean, that's what we all knew coming into the game. When you, when you, when you talk about uh, the over-under and points, I think everybody should have been on the under because of how good the, the, the 49ers defense has been and specifically how good the Chiefs defense has been. Uh, the Chiefs offense, again, people have been saying, oh, it's not as good as it once was. It, has, it wasn't as good as it, as it was. You have a rookie wide receiver one. Your best receiver is a rookie. They led the league in dropped passes. They had a couple huge drops yesterday. Uh, I, which Watson was it? I get confused with the all the Watsons. The ball was behind him. Either way, it was a drop. Um, Brock Purdy yesterday, again, this is no disrespect to Brock Purdy. He can manage the hell out of a game. He can. This is no knock on him. He absolutely kept them in a position to win that game. But he is not the reason they could have won that game. If you go down the list... If you go down the list, he is not a top six player that could have won Super Bowl MVP. Not a top six. Both kickers were ahead of him. Patrick Mahomes was ahead of him. His fourth string wide receiver was ahead of him. McCaffrey the, was ahead of him. talking about the kicker that missed the extra point was ahead of him? Correct. Correct. Interesting. Because that's, a, <laughs> that's not a wild take. The abs, I, I, Jake Moody, if they don't have Jake Moody, they're, not abs, they're absolutely not in a position to win that game. He had a better game than Brock Purdy. I, I, and again, I'm not going to turn this into the Brock Purdy hate fest. But if you, if you come away from that game saying, oh, my faith in Brock Purdy has been restored, I don't know what to tell you. He had a decent game. I think he kept him in it. But again, Christian McCaffrey is the heart and soul of that offense. If you take away Christian McCaffrey, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. Now, is it fair to play the hypothetical game nonstop? No. But uh, I, I would say, is it the, was it the quarterback show yesterday? No. But I would say Patrick Mahomes still had a hell of a game. Yeah, there's going to be people that say the block – the block kick, as Craig already put it out in the chat, is not the same as a miss. Well, when you kick it, when you kick it five feet off the ground, it is. It is. There's no pressure up front. You miss kick it. It kicks. It, it, if he kicks it directly in the in the into the center's uh, tail, and again, I'm gonna do my best here to keep everything PG-13 here. PG-13. Is, is is that the same as a miss kick? How low does he have to kick it until you say, well, that was pretty bad? I thought maybe on the on the uh, the fact of the broadcast, which we'll get to a little bit later, they I think it was Jay Feely pointed out, hey, he mishit this. It went off his ankle. This ball was yeah. way too low. He missed the kick. That was his fault. And he did make a big kick earlier. And I thought special teams was the ultimate difference in this football game. It simply was. You can say whatever you want about the Chiefs' offense. They were resurrected. They came into the uh, and again. They came in to a game in which, at the beginning of the game, they were not moving the football at all. I'd like to know how many passes Patrick Mahomes, into the, into the third quarter, and certainly something that we could look up, he had past the 50-yard line in that football game. Couldn't have been many. San Francisco was in control. They were moving the ball. Their offensive line, they couldn't figure out a way to not false start. There was at one point in that football game where Kansas City had 18 total yards. San Francisco had 135. And they had a one-score game. The Kansas City Chiefs special teams and defense 
I will continue to say it, are the unsung heroes. Very similar to a local sports team around here, isn't it? And I'm not taking anything away, anything away from Patrick Mahomes and what he did and Joe Burrow and what he was able to accomplish. But what I sat back and I thought to myself last night was that really at the end of it all, in order to win a Super Bowl, you have to have a relatively elite defense. Does it need to be the Ravens of old? No. You would maybe argue that the 49ers defense was as close to that as you could possibly get, and they still didn't win it. And that's why you need a quarterback. But the quarterback wasn't the ultimate reason yesterday in Brock Purdy as to why they lost. And I'm not going to say that it's Christian McCaffrey's fault. The guy played great yesterday, but he fumbled. He fumbled the football inside the 20-yard line. That's a problem. Yeah. I didn't see Brock Purdy muff a punt. That is at least, at minimum, a six-point swing. At most, a 14-point swing in a football game that is decided by one point. And we can sit here and we can do whatever we want. And we can talk about how in the world we want to make it about specifically just the quarterbacks. I can't do that. I do think Patrick Mahomes has done one thing. He's moved up on the totem pole. Am I going to consider him the goat goat? No. But I do think this. This is the first time in my opinion, and this is maybe a little reckless, but at the same time, first time in my opinion that they 100% earned the Super Bowl. Without a doubt. Yeah. Earned it. You can't say, well, they kind of got a fluky call against the Bengals or, oh, in the Super Bowl, there was a holding that gave them the championship. They earned it. Like it or not, they played at home against a team that, you know, you can call them soft all you want, but they're still the Miami Dolphins, and they still won a bunch of football games this year. They beat them at home. They go on the road for the first time. Everybody wants to make a big deal about that, and what do they do? They go into the backyard of Josh Allen, and they win. They go into the number one seat. Right into the backyard, that is Baltimore. First time I think Baltimore hosted a uh, AFC championship game. So you know that the, the, the atmosphere, the energy was electric. And there's one common thread. At the end of the game, you start to think to yourself, did Kansas City win that game or did the other team lose it? Well, I know one thing. Most games are lost, not won. And Kansas City finds a way not to lose the game. They don't make the unbelievable mistake that you need to make in order, in order for you to lose. And some of that is, is the defense stepped up when it mattered the most. The biggest set of, uh, of circumstances that I think happened in the Super Bowl is that Patrick Mahomes throws that interception. Horrible interception. And they get nothing out of it. Kansas City's team runs right back on the field. Their defense runs right back on the field, and they go three and out. They have to punt the football from their own 50-yard line. They got the ball at the 50. They punted at the 50. Now, of course, Kansas City could have come back and won, but the score was 10 to 3 at that time. You go up 14 to, th uh, excuse me, what would it have been? Uh, 17? 17 to 3. Yeah. 17 to 3 in the Super Bowl with the defense of the likes of the 49ers. And I'm not sure exactly that uh, ends well for the Kansas City Chiefs, but that's not what happened. And, and uh, hypotheticals are irrelevant. One thing that came to mind last night was Greenlaw obviously getting hurt. I don't know how big of an impact it ultimately had. But that just goes to show you of all the things that could have possibly happened in football, the guy gets hurt trying to run out on the field. Debo Samuel pulls his hamstring, and now he came back. I don't think Debo was as big of a factor as Greenlaw. But these guys getting hurt on fluke incidents, 
I don't know what you make of it, but it's the it reminded me the last time of a fluke incident happening in a big game was Ted Ginn Jr. I don't know if you think it ultimately made that much of a difference, but Greenlaw Casey's a guy that obviously you, you watch football probably more than all of us, but he's one of the best linebackers in the NFL. You could make the argument that he's the quarterback of their defense. Um, do you felt do you feel like when you watch that game there was a clear evidence sign that he would have made a big difference, or is it one of those things where they still played pretty damn well in his absence? I mean, I think they played well in his absence. The bigger one to me was the Debo Samuel thing because. What the 49ers decided to do when he got hurt and a hamstring pull at that was to continue to throw the ball to him. He was targeted 11 times the game in that game. He only caught it three times. That is the majority of Brock Purdy's misfires. And to be honest with you, he dropped a couple balls. He, did. he dropped a couple of them. And I'm not, I'm not going to rip Debo Samuel. It's not his fault that he got hurt and it's not his fault that they lost. But that is a big reason why their offense – kind of sputtered, including the the just misfire and the miscues on, on penalties as well. Um, I think that was the bigger injury. I thought they did a really good job stopping the run. Uh, Pacheco had only 59 yards on the day on 18 carries. That's that's pretty pretty good. Um, maybe where it would have mattered more, Greenlaw being in there was Mahomes running around. Mahomes was the leading rusher on the Kansas City Chiefs with 66 yards. That's pretty impressive, um, especially there at the end. He had that huge run right big up time. the middle. Um, that was that was big time. So I that that might have made a difference, but I don't think it was the the biggest issue well, for the. Well, that I think team the, the, I mean, this is what Trey said at the beginning, and it's true: is that it was the defense, the D, the Kansas City defense won that game. It wasn't Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes played a large part in keeping them in it, just like Brock Purdy did. But it was the defense that they shut down George Kittle. George Kittle, the clip went viral of him saying, I'm going to come back next uh, – or I'm going to come back uh, whatever year uh, with a vengeance. Right. I'm going to be back to the Super Bowl with a vengeance. Two catches, four yards for George Kittle. Again, we, we talked about Debo Samuel, three catches, 30 yards. Ayuk really didn't have that much – I think he had a 20-yard catch. Outside of that, not much. Three for 49. It was Christian McCaffrey. It was – their offense is Christian McCaffrey. He had eight catches for 80 yards. He had 22 carries for 80 yards. If Christian McCaffrey is not a part of that offense, and that might be the greatest trade in the history of sport with, with, with the 49ers acquiring him. But it's just one of those things where if you don't have Christian McCaffrey, I have a hard time believing that, that the 49ers – and again, you can't, you can't play that game. Trey said it. You, the hypothetical game stupid. Don't play it. But it, it's very evident that he is the quarterback of that offense without, without, without a doubt. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Spagnola, the the Chiefs defensive 100%. coordinator. I mean, he completely nullified everyone but CMC, and that's pretty pretty amazing. All things considered, that he was able to completely shut down the likes of Kittle, Ayuk uh, pretty much was in check, Debo Samuel. I mean, they towards the end there they were letting Juan Jennings kind of run around, run around free, but that's your third string corner. Like at some point, you got to have, uh, you know. You don't have the depth there to stop everyone. So it was impressive to see him put together a game plan that nullified the rest of their offense and, you know, it made it to where the 49ers were kind of one-dimensional, uh, not to the point where they could only run the ball or they could only pass. But like Elliot said, I mean, they're really only effective when CMC was getting the ball. 
And I thought that CMC was only effective when he got the ball outside the tackles. I mean, yeah. there was a couple there was a couple big, large sweep plays where he kind of broke through, got maybe 10, 15, uh, might have had 120-yard gain. But inside the tackles, the Chiefs' defense, again, was elite. Chris Jones made maybe the play of the game, and a lot of times his plays of the game aren't even – they're not sacks. They're just basically forcing a pressure, yeah. requiring Purdy to throw the ball sooner than he wanted to, or he's going to have to throw off balance, or he had a hand in his face. He's elite. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see what the Chiefs do. Obviously, there's a lot of Bengals fans that, that would like to, to, to go out there and, and steal another one of their big-time players. They just did it with Orlando Brown. Can they possibly do it again with Chris Jones? We'll find out. But the play of the game, too, you could argue, was it was third and four. In my opinion, I thought it was two down territory if you decided to run the football. And I and I would have I would have genuinely lived with that result. And I think this is a pretty decent way to segue into the next topic of conversation after we get to this point is this. If you hand the ball off there, it's more than likely third and two, maybe, or you pick up the first down, perfect case scenario. If you end up getting stuffed on third and four, then maybe you just take the field goal. But in an all-out pressure, Chris Jones beats his man up the middle, forces Purdy to pretty much have to throw the ball away. I think Purdy was hoping that if he just threw it up kind of over there in the corner of the end zone that maybe he'd get lucky, his man would see the ball, and he'd be able to get underneath it, but ultimately that's not what happened. I think Jennings was on an out route right there. And unfortunately, Purdy just didn't have the time. Did not have the time. And, and Jennings, as Tony Romo pointed out, he was open. Well, it doesn't matter if you're open if, if you're getting hit, which is part of the reason, obviously, that Spagnola brought pressure. Is he knew that if that route took place, that ultimately, at the end of the day, it wasn't going to matter anyways because they were going to have pressure on him. But those are the two decisions that ultimately haunt Shanahan, in my opinion. You have the third and four that you decide to throw the ball on, and then you turn that around and you decide that you want to take the ball first in overtime. Now, this is obviously a hotly debated topic. There's there's rationale and there's reason on both sides. Okay? There is reason on both sides. I'm not gonna sit up here and scream into a microphone and act like there's no there's no real reason as to why you would want the ball first, as to why you want the ball second, in in one way is one hundred percent right. But all things considered, I get the idea that if you take the ball first and you go down and you score a touchdown and the other team comes down and scores a touchdown, then ultimately you have the ball next to be able to kick a field goal and win the game. Understood. But you've not scored a whole lot in this game. I don't know if it takes a brain surgeon to look up at the scoreboard and realize we've not moved the ball a whole lot here. The chances of us catching this kickoff and on our very first possession, marching all the way down the field and scoring a touchdown isn't very high. It's just not. Because you haven't done it, I don't know, all damn game. So what is your position then? If you don't score a touchdown, what are you left with? You're left with Patrick Mahomes getting four downs to go all the way down the field to either tie the game or get themselves in field goal range. Personally, I don't see how you don't take the ball second. Because if, and again, hypotheticals are what they are. I'm not sitting here suggesting that if you, that, that, that if you automatically make the Chiefs get the ball first, that their possession would have been the exact same. But if it was, 
Do you know who would have been the, who would have been the Super Bowl champion right now if the roles were reversed? If one team had the exact same possession when they got the ball first versus got the ball second? The San Francisco 49ers would be the world champions. Because I can tell you right now, Andy Reid is not going for it on fourth and one from his own 30-yard line. It seems impossible at the end of a game, more times than not, to stop a great quarterback and a great team that have done it before when they got four downs. The game's different when you have four downs. Completely different. You're never behind schedule. You're literally never behind schedule when you have four downs. So if you want to lay your head at night thinking to yourself that you made the right decision, be my guest. But ultimately, I think we all know that if you had to do it again, hindsight's easily 2020, yes, but it wasn't hindsight for me. And lastly, I'll say this. It's come out, it's pretty evident in post-game interviews that they didn't even know the rule. The players didn't know the rule. How on God's green earth can you be in a Super Bowl and be in a situation where your players didn't even know the rule? I'm still, I'm still confused on the rules. I had, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to talk about it. And, and I, I was against your decision. We were texting in our group chat yesterday, and we were saying, and Trace was uh, bringing home the point that why on earth would you elect to get the ball first? You want, you want to play defense first. So the Chiefs, uh, and this is Justin Reed. Justin Reed told the ringer, the Chiefs had first discussed the new overtime rules as far back as training camp. Chris Jones told, told, told everybody uh, the players were prepared for what to expect if the Super Bowl went to overtime. We talked through this for weeks. We were going to go for two at the end of the game if the 49ers scored on that opening drive. So they were going to go for two no matter what. There was probably not going to be a second overtime. Um, and then this was the, the 49ers side. The 49ers did not do the same at all in terms of preparation. Multiple San Francisco players said after the game that they were not aware of the overtime rules, uh, that they're different in the playoffs than they were in the regular season, and strategy discussions over how, how to handle the overtime period did not occur. Defensive lineman Arik Armstead said he learned the details of the postseason rule when it was shown on the Allegiant Stadium Jumbotron during a TV timeout after regulation. Kyle Juszczyk said he assumed the 49ers asked to receive when they won the toss, because that's what you do in the regular season when a touchdown wins the game. That's not the case. So they had no clue what the hell was going on. And this is why Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, Andy Reid, they deserve a lot of credit because they, they prepare for every single little thing that happens in these football games. And it always works out in their favor because they're always prepared. They know what to expect. This, is, this was, I mean, again, I'm not going to try to kill Shanahan up here, but that's pathetic. I mean, us as fans, we don't know the rules. I'm still completely, I, I'm not entirely sure. The way it was explained to me was the first two overtime periods were to be the first half, essentially. And then if it got to halftime, it would switch. That's how it was explained Yeah, listen, to me. it's a new game. Think of it that way. It's a, literally a new game. You start in the first quarter. If you get to halftime, you go to halftime, then you, you basically have roles reversed. It's sudden death after the first possession by both teams, just to be clear. Right, that's when that's when theoretically the, the 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 old Super Bowl rule or the old postseason rules would have been in full effect. 
Nobody would have been confused. Field goal ends it. That's what it ultimately would have been. When you have the special teams as good as both of these teams have had, you could argue maybe Moody's nowhere near Butker, and I would agree with that. But my point is, is that a field goal 95% of the time was going to end the Super Bowl in a situation after the first possession. The only thing that was really different was that when Patrick, or not, when Patrick Mahomes played Josh Allen in the playoffs, the only reason this rule changed is because they had an unbelievable game up to that point. Mm-hmm. And it felt like whoever won the coin toss wins the game because they go down and they kick a field goal. It would have been the exact same for Brock Purdy and the 49ers if they would have never changed the rules. They would have looked at, we would have been sitting here today talking about how Patrick Mahomes, maybe the greatest quarterback that will ever play the game, is in a Super Bowl and he loses a coin toss and Brock Purdy marches it and we don't even ever get to see Patrick Mahomes with the football in overtime. These rules are terrible. They're the dumbest rules that there ever were. And maybe you could make the case, and rightfully so, that it is wrong. But... They changed the rule. Thankfully for all of us, and especially Kansas City fans, they changed the rule. Yeah. So, simple. This is a simple thing. You practice, you prepare, you hear about coaches sleeping in their offices, and they're worried about this and that, and they're worried about the third string guy and this third string guy, and you can't even tell me that you don't have your team prepared to what they want to do in the Super Bowl if you get to overtime and you don't even know what you want when the coin toss happens? You got no clue? You got five or six Prominent players, not guy. No, we're not talking about the backup kicker. We're not talking about the backup long snapper that somehow gets a microphone shoved in his face after the game and they ask him, what do you think about the overtime rules? And they say something stupid. No, we're talking about bona fide players that have no clue. We're reading the scoreboard about how the overtime works during a TV timeout. That is by that that is where that is where when we talk about fans being overreactionary or fans that don't know what they're talking about, or you might question a manager that, that has been managing in Major League Baseball for 20 years. What do you know that he doesn't know? Well, example A, exhibit A. Sometimes the smartest guy in the room is the dumbest guy in the room in certain situations. You can't convince me under any circumstance that, the, that your decision to take the ball first and not know what you have to do when you get the ball next is a better decision, especially when you add in the fact that Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. Especially when you have that. I would have rather kicked the ball off and hoped my defense did what it did almost all game long. And what is that? Stop Patrick Mahomes when he doesn't have positive field position. And turns out, you know what they did? They actually did stop him. They did. (laughs) They did stop him. But it was fourth and one. And they ran a beautiful play. You got to give Andy Reid credit. He drew up some really good plays towards the end of that game. And, you know, you could say whatever you want. Patrick Mahomes threw to guys that were wide open. And he did. The touchdown that he threw, the very first touchdown of the game, I listen. You'll hear people say, well, I could have made that pass. Well, I'll be honest with you. We could have gone around the high school ranks and probably grabbed – you know, 50% of the high school kids in this country and told them, hey, you're going to take this snap and you're going to throw that to the guy, right? And then more than 50% of them would have completed that pass. So kudos to Andy Reid. The option play where he ran around the edge, I think that's where you got to give Patrick Mahomes credit where, where he is a huge advantage over Brock Purdy, right? Patrick Mahomes has been in this situation so many times that there's not really a whole lot of nerves there. And if there are nerves, 
their nerves that have been settled to where he is able to function at a high capacity. And he made some plays with his legs that he should deserve credit for. The one thing that I've, I've seen a lot in the chat already about the 49ers taking the ball first was that their defense was needing a rest. But the key thing there is that there was a break in between going into overtime. There was a period of, of rest for them there for them to even communicate this situation to the guy before they did the coin flip. That's what I don't understand at all is that there was time. They, they just said they saw it on the big giant video board and they still elected to take the ball first. That's what I don't understand is like you saw it before you already had rest and yet we're going to take this ball for you are, you're absolutely right on if you're in that situation, you want to know what you need to get in order to win the ball game. If you can stop them and Mahomes and they kick a field goal in that fourth and one, then you know you just need to go down and get in the field goal range and you're at least tying the ball game, which they were it would have ended up hypothetically they would have ended up doing the same thing and they would have kicked a field goal and it would have just been sudden death after that. But at least you know, like hey, we could go down and score a touchdown in the game instead of yeah. having to the rest, Well the fourth and one, to be clear, the fourth down that Kansas City went for was on their own side of the field. Yeah, they, 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 that, that was they, they would have punted, and and maybe you would argue that they wouldn't have. And I actually thought in my to myself, can we can we uh, let's do a little quick little uh, backtrack here. If we're gonna crush the Dan Campbells and the analytics of the world, I do want to give Shanahan some credit on this. He decided he decided to go for it on fourth and three in field goal range. Yep, and he got it, and they ended up scoring a touchdown. So you know, if we want to bring up the, the the one side, we should bring up the other side. Um. But my point to you, Casey, was is that I don't know. That's a fair question. I don't know if whether or not they would have. But if the Kansas City Chiefs were in the same spot they were in and they were the first team that got the ball and it was fourth and one, do they go for it? If they don't get it, San Francisco kicks a field goal right where they're at. Game's over. But obviously, you know in the back of your mind when you punt the football away, they have to go down the field. They kick a field goal. They win. Do you think they would have gone for it? Yeah. 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 I, I think, and again, not that uh, we'll get to Tony Romo in a second. Right. But Tony was saying, I think for a large portion of that fourth quarter for both teams, he was like, well, this is four down territory. This is four down territory. I think no matter what, Kansas City was going to go for it on fourth and one. Uh, I, don't, I don't see yeah. a scenario where they, they take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, give the ball to Jake Moody who set the record for longest field goal in a Super Bowl, then was broken by Harrison Butker. But he, he was drilling kicks all game long, dead center. Obviously, the extra point was a miscue, but uh, Jake Moody could have made a, made a kick from the from midfield. So really, you're, you're punting the ball away, and they've got 25 yards to get within a field goal range, a, a potential game-winning field goal. They weren't going to do it. So, so no, I, I absolutely think they were, they were going to go for it no matter what in that situation. Boza had an unbelievable game. Uh, he, he really did. Bo, Boza played his, his tail off. I give him all the credit in the world. Um, he dove. He, and I'm not saying that it's his fault. He was trying to make a play. And you're in a position where you gotta, you just you got to go all in one way or the other. And he went all in on, I think it was uh, um, Pacheco, when they basically did the, the – the, I don't know what they ultimately would call it. It was an option. Yeah. You know, essentially it was just a, an RPO, which I don't think that the pass was really probably ever going to be in the mind of, of, of Patrick Mahomes, unless, to be fair, the, the DB decided just to come in on him and, and the tight end would have been wide open right in front of him. 
but Boza sold out on Pacheco. And realistically speaking, if Boza just decided, you know what, I don't believe they're going to give this ball to anybody other than Patrick right here, and he would have just taken off, and instead of diving down to get, and he would have just went right at Mahomes. Now, these are a bunch of what ifs, yes, but he could have ended the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Um, and again, storylines are written. The, the narratives are all changed. Brock Purdy somehow now goes from a guy that's still questioned to a guy that's solidified. He's won a Super Bowl. He didn't make the mistake, this, that, and the other. And that's why this whole thing's so stupid. Sometimes we sit here and make things out to be that they're not. Kansas City, ultimately, I was wrong about. I didn't think they were that good of a team. And what I've come to find out, obviously, is that they had an unbelievable defense. Elite defense. An elite defense. I don't know how they keep getting away with this. Obviously, they draft well. And when you look forward for the Bengals, you obviously hope that that's some of the, the, the answer in which they are able to do. You know, you get into all these big, big things about what do you do with T. Higgins and Jamar's extension, and obviously Burrow's been taken care of. But realistically speaking, the difference ultimately is going to end up being whether or not the secondary guys turn out to be elite-level players. That They go out and get a guy like Snead, right? And he's elite-level player. You have to obviously draft well. We all know this. This isn't rocket science. But in my opinion, the one thing from a Bengals perspective I took out of that last night, whether we, we whether they get Chris Jones or not, I don't know. But it's like, that can be the Bengals. There's no way Joe Burrow-led offense with Jamar Chase. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Kansas City. It's going to sound like I'm knocking Kansas City when I say this. They can't be as like they, they can't be that much worse than Kansas City offensively. It's, it's almost impossible. Like, Kansas City offensively is just maybe – I'll give you average. And it sounds like I'm hating right now. I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean it that way. I'm just saying in general, there's nothing offensively about Kansas City that makes me think that the Bengals can't be at least that. The I question agree. ultimately comes down to whether or not defensively the Bengals can become what they are. No, I don't know. Defensively, they were, I mean, they're unbelievable. Some guy named, again, I, maybe this is, I, I don't watch enough football, but Leo Chanel. I don't know who the hell Leo Chanel is, but he had one of the greatest defensive games I've ever seen, and nobody's going to talk about him. Nobody's going to remember his name. I think he was the one who blocked the kick. Uh, he had a forced fumble on, on McCaffrey. He had a couple big tackles. The dude was all over the field. Nobody's going to remember him. He's just another member, just another another notch on one of the world's greatest defenses. Uh, I, I don't think, and, and again, if we're going to tie this back into the Bengals, I don't think the Bengals offensively uh, are, are, are far away from the Chiefs. I think, I think Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals will be back. And not to mention Joe Burrow is the only, only guy to be able to beat Patrick Mahomes, uh, ironically. So, no, I, I, the Bengals need to get it together defensively, and that's what it comes down. We need Sweet Lou. We need Sweet Lou. Now, another one of those storylines, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, obviously during the game, one of the, big, one of the bigger first-half storylines, and it was, it was a great job by CBS, uh, it was Travis Kelsey getting all mad, getting all frustrated, and bumping yep. into Andy Reid. In what world, in what scenario does that happen in the NFL? And then the coach just shrugs it off and says, all right, all right, Travis, you're upset. Get back in there, and we'll try it again. I think there's a lot of players in the NFL that, that do that, and they get benched. Yeah, your leash is as long as you're worth. That's, 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 what, that's, that, that's what this ultimately comes down to. It's, this isn't complicated, everybody. Your leash is as long as you're worth. If you're not worth a whole lot, guess what? Your leash isn't very big. If that's some random, like I said, backup guy that does something crazy like that to Andy Reid, yeah, he's, he's probably, hell, he might not even come out after the second half. 
he'd have been smarter to stay back and sit out there and watch Usher and probably probably be cut right when he right when he were to uh, to exit the stadium. The only thing is that that is Travis Kelsey, and it is maybe one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tight ends of all time. And you know, here's the thing. This is where sometimes there's blurred lines. Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey have been with each other for so long. There's a relationship there. They obviously know each other. They like each other. There's this isn't uh, this kind of is more from you have a coach player relationship and then you have just a friendship. And there's a friendship element sometimes that I think the line gets blurred between what the actual hierarchy of the set of circumstances are. He's the head coach. You don't bump your head coach like that. No. You don't get in your head coach's face like that under any circumstance. But the reason that Travis did that is because of a couple things. One, yes, it's a huge emotional game. Biggest game these guys played in their entire lives. Yes, I know Travis Kelsey has won Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, but he's a human. And I got news for you. If you don't think for a single second that he wanted to win this Super Bowl more than he's wanted to win all the other Super Bowls, you're lying to yourself because ultimately at the end of the day, you know who's sitting in that press box. And I think that many people might laugh at that. You might make a big deal about that. You might say, well, Trace, well, no, like in all, in all seriousness, Travis Kelsey is in his position now where you can say whatever you want but he is magnified more than he's ever been. And he knows damn well what his perception and legacy would be if he won the Super Bowl versus not. To a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there that watch the Super Bowl literally just because he was in it. And it's not nothing to do with him, but you know who it is about. And he wants to quote-unquote impress. He felt like he got taken out of the game too early or they took him out when he didn't need to come out. You got uh, Gray, I believe, the tight end, who's out there in his spot. Instead, he's blocking, and somehow Travis now thinks that if he was blocking, he would have made a better block. Uh, Pacheco doesn't fumble. Next thing you know, now there's a huge momentum shift in a football game that he felt like he could have been a part of, and he was pissed. I don't make a big deal about it. I do think, unfortunately, like it or not, whether it's Pfizer, whether it's Taylor Swift, whether it's the way that he acts, whether it's jealousy, whether it's the New Heights podcast, whether it's all of combination of it all. Travis Kelsey is going to be hated by some for that. He's going to be loved by others for that. I stay in the middle of all of it, and I say, you know what? Teach his own. Congratulations to him, first of all and foremost, on being a great football player. And I also think, you know, I, I don't really care about the relationship that much. If anything, I'm happy for him. That's cool. I think it's neat. If it lasts, great. But I think that the reason for what he did was less about him thinking he's a bigger deal because he's dating Taylor Swift like some have made it out to be. And the blurred lines of a relationship that is a guy that's played for a guy for a very long time and there's a friendship there. It'd be no different than it is here sometimes. If we work together for 10 years, we go hang out, we do all these things, you're going to treat me or you're going to have reactions towards me that are a little more authentic a little more real, not as harnessed as yeah. you would if you went into a corporate job and you didn't know the boss, you wouldn't go in there and start screaming and yelling. You're correct. That's so, 100% what happened last night. To be fair, I, I, I don't mind him getting in in Andy Reid's face. It was the fact that he got a little physical. He like he he bumped him like 
threw him off a little bit. I didn't like. That I thought he was much. going down. Did you think yeah, he was going I, down? I, I thought he was going down for a second. I thought they were like gonna. Yeah, it was a little rough. I list. I listened to the interview with Kelsey uh, in SVP <clears throat> on Sports Center after the game. It was around midnight or something like that. And and Travis is like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have bumped Big Red like that, but you know, me and him, we go way back. Essentially, what Trace is saying is that I, I think that relationship uh, is so deep that not that you can do that, but it's certainly that the lines are a little bit blurry. But but since the bump at halftime, he had one catch for one yard, I think one catch for two yards. Travis Kelsey didn't have a second, whole lot. Second half, what was he at ninety yards? So yeah. uh, clearly, the bump was effective. Clearly, the bump was effective, and it got really the Kansas City offense back on track. A couple more quick points about the Super Bowl that I wrote down here that I want to bring up. Um, one is, from a strategic standpoint, when do you decide to stop blocking downfield on punts? How many times does a, does a, does a guy just fair catch the ball regardless? It's got to be upwards of 80, 80, 80 plus percent of the time that the punt returner doesn't even actually try to return the kick. At some point, the NFL is going to do a few things. They're going to realize that holding, defensive holding at the end of the game and playing man-to-man coverage and teaching playing strong, tough man-to-man coverage is smarter than to give up 7, 8, 9, 10 yards of cushion and allow the allow Patrick Mahomes to sit there and just go dink, dunk, dink, dunk, dink, dunk, dink, dunk. 55 yards later, boom, he's right there. We didn't even talk about the fact that Patrick Mahomes had to go down the field just to tie the game to get to overtime, and he got down there almost at field goal range without there being any pressure at all. It was just conceded to him that they didn't want him to make the big play, so we just automatically let him get in the field goal range pretty much. At some point, someone's going to say, let's just play straight up, tough, man-to-man defense. We'll have help over the top, and I'm going to teach my DBs that if they get beat, just tackle them. Just tackle them. Because it's a five-yard penalty. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, they get an automatic first down, but I've got news for you. It's pretty much an automatic first down when you let them get eight yards on first down every single play. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is when, is when you're pu- returning punts and you're trying to block, once you get 20 to 25 yards downfield, personally, I'm done. We're good. We're done blocking. If you can't, if you can't control the gunners, right? If the gunners get past you, we're done. Get out of there. You don't need to chase the gunner all the way down the field. You know why? Because you can't block him in the back. And the chances of him catching that ball and making a man miss and you actually mattering on the play to block somebody is next to zero. But what can happen is what happened the other night is that you're down there blocking. It's a huge, enormous game. And I'm supposed to trust the fact that you can hear Peter coming out of the returner's mouth. That's my that that's that's what we're relying on. We're relying on that you can hear Peter, Peter, Peter from 20 yards away. At some point, someone's going to decide, you know what? It ain't worth the risk. The hell with it. Especially in a game like the one yesterday, where you know every possession is going to matter significantly because you can't move the ball on either side of the football hardly. All right, the biggest play of the Super Bowl. It's going to be our poll question of the day. We're going to try to have one of these every single day. Sometimes they're serious. Sometimes they're going to be funny. Today's serious. 
What was the most important play of the Super Bowl? Blocked extra point, the muff punt, the fourth and one conversion, obviously in overtime for the Kansas City Chiefs that ultimately let them extend their drive and go on to win. Or maybe you think it's something different. Go ahead and make that, uh, that vote right now on YouTube. For those in podcast form here in about 30 minutes, we will let you know what that decision was. We'll go around the room and we'll pick our answer. I think that the muff pun is by far the biggest play of the game. I don't even think it's close. Now, you know that I'm not a huge analytics guy. Um, I do like to use it to my advantage. I like to, I like to use it, but it's not the end all be all for me. Here's the thing is I think I looked on ESPN analytics and it said that at that moment, when Kansas City punted the football, when the ball was at the peak of its top in the air in the Super Bowl, the chance for the, for the San Francisco 49ers to win that game was 78%. When he fumbled the football, it was at 51%. I don't know how you could say that there's a play outside of that one that's bigger. But you can be my guest. Yeah, certainly that one seems to be it. I would argue it's the extra point uh, for me personally just because the the Kansas City offense showed no signs of being able to score a touchdown up until that point. And keeping them within three points made all the difference in the world to Patrick Mahomes. If if that's a four-point game, I don't think the Chiefs win it. I really don't. Um, So And Jake Moody, God love him, he was was dynamite all game long. So was Harrison Bucker. Both kickers were electric. But if you're going to keep Patrick Mahomes within a field goal, I have no doubt in my mind. I have, in fact, I would bet every dollar I own, every single time, that Patrick Mahomes can get, what was it? So if you, if you start at the 25, it's what, 50 yards, 40 yards? He's going to get 40 yards every single time if you need three points. I had no doubt in my mind. Once, once, once he missed the extra point, I had no doubt in my mind that the Chiefs were going to A, send to overtime, or B, win the game. For me, it would probably be the muff punt. The fourth and one is right there, right, probably second. But for your reason alone, Trace, I mean, it, they weren't gonna. They, they, it was ten to six, and then they made it a ten to thirteen ball game right after that muff punt recovery. Um, guy was wide open, completely changed momentum for the 49ers into the Chiefs' favor. I think the fourth and one though, too, like you stop them there, it gets into the game. So. I don't know how realistic it is to stop <clears throat> the Chiefs on, on the on the fourth and one though. You, you know you know what they are, and again the Kansas City defense had stopped them all night, so maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I I just think. And by the way, were you mad when they didn't line up under center for that? We were talking. I was watching the Super Bowl at, at my house. We had a couple of friends over, and we're all like, they're they're going up. It has to be. It's going to be Kelsey. It might be Kelsey up the middle, and they're shoving Kelsey. It might be Mahomes uh, under center, and Kelsey's shoving him. I, I, had, I did not think they were going to go out of shotgun there. I thought that was preposterous. I think the reason they didn't do that is because ultimately they tried to, they, they somewhat tried to play bully ball to play before, and they got manhandled. They did. And, and, and that's the thing. On both sides of the football, both teams, I don't believe they felt like they could run it up the middle and get more than one yard. Yeah. I, don't, I, I really don't. And that's what, like it or not, San Francisco's uh, – you know, their calling card, if you want to call it that, is that they are a tough sled football team where if they need to get a yard, they're going to turn around and hand it to Christian McCaffrey, and they're going to get that yard. They're not even worried about it. And that wasn't the case last night. They tried yeah. it a couple times with Christian McCaffrey, and it got stuffed. Yeah. I mean, Kansas City's defense was and is elite. Uh, a couple other quick points to notes here. 
Uh, Jim Nance is elite. I have that on the list of things to talk about. Um, I don't want to take him for granted. I don't know how many more years he has left of doing Super Bowls because it's like similar to the Olympics, right? Um, there's what a three or four different types of uh, types of networks that cover the Super Bowl. You have ESPN, uh, ABC, and then you have uh, NBC, right? And that used to be Collinsworth, and um, why can't I think of uh, his name off the top of my head? He's, he went to he went to um, Thursday Night Football. And he's a, uh, Al Michaels, Al sorry. Michael, sorry. Um, you obviously have Fox, and then you have them. So it's like, it's four. Am I missing something? Maybe you can help me out in the chat. I believe it's four networks that essentially ultimately end up covering the Super Bowl. So it's like, it is similar to the Olympics. It only comes around once every four years. How many more Jim Nance Super Bowls do we get? I don't know. I'm not trying to rush him out of here by any stretch of the imagination. But he already decided that he's not going to do Final Fours anymore just because he just doesn't want to do it. And at some point, when you get a little bit older, you got a little bit of coin, you've done something for so long, you decide, you know what, I'm going to hang it up. A la Nick Saban. I think he'll do the Masters forever, but I, I think the Super Bowl, this is, probably, this is probably his last one. You think it's his last one? I was going to say he has one more in him. I think, I think it's his last one. And, and I don't know, again, the cycle might change with ABC. I think ABC, I don't know if ABC's ever had it. I think it's always yeah, been it, Fox, NBC, CBS. They just added that. Okay, so they just added him. So it'll be, yeah, I, this, this, has been, this has been his last Super Bowl. I thought he did great. I liked every little funny quip he made about Las Vegas. Uh, he said he made some joke about 19. Usually in this town, 19 is good enough. Uh, I, I, I love him. And he makes, he makes Tony Romo uh, almost tolerable. There were moments last night where Tony Romo, and again, it, it, Trace was right. Trace texted in our group chat. Tony was fine for a large portion of that game. I would say for three quarters. It got to the fourth quarter, and Tony, Tony got a little goofy. Yeah. There, was a point, there was a point where Patrick Mahomes, uh, it was towards the end of regulation, and they had all the time in the world, but Jim was saying, you got to spike it here. You got to spike it here. But Pacheco was still running 50 yards backwards to the line of scrimmage. They couldn't have spiked it even if they wanted to. Uh, and obviously they just, they just ran a play and he threw it out of bounds. Um, but he's like, he's, he said immediately after that, that would have saved him 15 seconds. They would have gotten 15 seconds back there. Jim, buddy, Tony, they weren't even close. It wouldn't have even been close to 15 seconds because Pacheco wasn't near the line of scrimmage. So it's just silly stuff like that. But, but he, but Jim Nance is the Jim Nance is one of the best of all time. Yeah, and listen, I do think that there was a situation there where they could have called a timeout. Um, and, and you know what, when you get down late in the game, you only got one timeout left nine ninety percent of the time, unless it's a unless it's Christian uh, mission critical to to stop the clock, which it wasn't in that situation. It wasn't. Um, they usually save the timeout in case of something crazy happening at the end of the game. You want to make sure that you can save yourself from utter disaster. So they saved that timeout. They ended up using it there, I believe. Uh, um, really, I don't even know if they actually ended up using it because uh, they Kelsey ended up going out around like the eight yard line. Then they make it. They made a quick fade pass. I do thought. I do think that that here's the thing with Tony Romo. I think he just gets ahead of his skis a little bit sometimes. He 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 just. He has a hard time of really understanding the moment, the magnitude, and what the viewer would like to hear. He's not horrible by any stretch of the imagination, but at the end of the game, the last thing that I want to hear when a kicker is lining up for a field goal to extend it to overtime is, this isn't how it's going to end, is it, Jim? <laughs> you, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. That's not that's not your time and place to even say something along those lines. And I don't know what it is that gets in him towards the end of these games, but he says crazy stuff. 
He did it when the Kansas City Chiefs played uh, the Bengals in the AFC Championship. If I remember right, Tony was suggesting them spiking the ball or something along the lines of that game. And towards the end of the game, I can't remember what it is. But some of his late game decision making is quite comical. Like when there's nine seconds left and Tony goes, well, you could probably get two plays in here if you're the Chiefs. Two plays? Two plays? Try one. Just make sure you get this one. Like if you, the reason the Chiefs, which rightfully so when they were smart, the reason that they threw a quick little, uh, a quick little fade is that they knew 100% it wasn't going to take nine seconds. And there wasn't some small chance to where if they were to run a play, and Patrick Mahomes is great, and I'm not suggesting he would make this mistake, but it's possible. He's human. Maybe he gets caught up in the moment, and he tries to make a play. He starts rolling out, and he starts running all over the field, and the next thing you know, the clock runs out. I was thinking that. One play. Tony's thinking two plays. And then, well, then he changed his mind after he ran, well, after, yeah, after after they he... ran that disaster of a play. He's like, oh, maybe they should kick it, Jim. I don't know. Uh, he was also calling for a screen pass. I wanted to say he didn't want to get to the, he didn't want to get to the end zone. Why throw it to the sticks when you can run a screen pass with eight seconds and your season on the line in the Super Bowl, uh, down by three? So that's that was nonsense. But God, God love him. Anything else? I, I was I was gonna say the halftime show. Usually the halftime show gets on people. What, what were your thoughts? Well, I figured I, I exactly what I thought would happen happened. Listen, I'm sure there's some people in our chat that don't like it. I uh, to be to be funny. Don't take this personally. Get me to be funny. I figured I knew that the Facebook crowd was not gonna like the halftime performance. The TikTok crowd would, yep. you know, uh, that's kind of what I felt like. I thought Usher did fine. I, I, I don't take it that serious. I, I do. I would like there to be like um, some some uh, what's the right word to use here? A different genre would be nice for the Super Bowl um, relatively soon. Um, you know, I not saying it has to be Dave Matthews band, but something like that would be kind of nice. Yeah, a little bit of rock would be good. I think for the Super Bowl. Uh, Opposed to the love songs, uh, what have you? But I thought I thought Usher last night that was one of the better productions I've seen uh, in the Super Bowl in quite some time. I thought the dancing was cool. I thought uh, the camera shots were really cool. Little John, I don't, I didn't think Little John was going to come out. So shout out to him. That was always electric when that guy starts yelling. Uh, but I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good halftime show. I don't know if you now. This was a fun one. I switched uh, back and forth to the Nickelodeon broadcast. Do you watch any of that? I did not oh, watch yeah. any of that. Can you give oh, me that, a quick review? Oh, that was electric. So they would do, and again, it was just SpongeBob and uh, Patrick. Patrick yep. They were in the booth, and they would commentate on, on various things. Uh, it, and it would anytime a, a receiver would drop it, they just hold up a sign that said "Firmly Grasp It," and they just do all these SpongeBob SpongeBob references. Hilarious stuff. We had Sandy Cheeks as the sideline reporter. Uh, there's the slime. Every, everything about the everything about that Nickelodeon broadcast is absolutely hysterical. They need to keep doing that. Yeah. Obviously, you can't watch it forever. And I didn't think they would do. It's the same commercials too. I thought they would do like more kid commercials. I guess you you can't. It, it has to be the same commercials, which I thought were wild. Uh, and that brings me to the commercials. I thought the commercials were the worst ever yesterday. <laughs> I I thought legitimately there were. There, I think there were. There was the Dunkin' Donuts one that was really good. There was the Michael Sarah one that was really good. Outside of that, it was the Timu commercial 400 times, and I can't even remember anything else. There were two very good com – and the Paramount commercial uh, with Patrick Stewart was very good. There was three good commercials yesterday, not nearly enough, not nearly good enough. But other than that, I thought the broadcast was great. I, when you get to watch that game as uh, not a fan of the team, but as an outside observer, it's always, it's always a, a, a good time. The, 
the the commercials if we're, if hand up if we're being honest i just uh i wasn't locked in you weren't locked in I, I wasn't locked in no, i i mean i paid attention to a few of them yes and and of course you have your sentimental ones that they always seem to to, to push and you have um the, the the social justices of the world and all those things and and uh very rarely do we get the um and maybe i missed them to be fair maybe i missed them very rarely do we get the old commercials that are just comedically comedically Unhinged, like yeah. just a little a little borderline um politically correct or not politically correct for the super bowl commercials like it seems like those are just getting my nicks before they ever get to the cut line doritos needs to bring back the commercial where that guy runs around and licks people's fingers that was the greatest commercial of all time they need to bring it back as soon as possible um but other than that, yeah, I thought the broadcast was I got to watch right? the Dunkin', Dunkin' Donuts commercial. That was good. Uh, Steve said in the chat that, that he good. thought it was excellent. You obviously said it was good. Those are two positive reviews, and I missed that one. It was Ben Affleck. I missed that one. It was Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and then J-Lo. Uh, and I think gotcha. Jack Harlow, and they were trying to rap a song or sing a song. Fair it, was very, it was very funny. I like the enough. Reese's commercial. The which one? The Reese's one. I thought that one was great. I don't remember the Reese's one. They just released a new Reese's Cup, but they thought that the old Reese's was going to go away, oh. so they just – Lost their minds. I see. Yeah. I see. It was great. That's good. Uh, a couple other quick plays here that I have written down that I thought were, were plays that would be talked about at length if they actually went the opposite way. Instead, they did it. The hold on the uh, the longest field goal in Super Bowl history that Bucker ended up making was an unbelievable hold. I don't have <laughs> – I, I, I know that you're going to laugh at me. I don't know the kid's name. He's the punter. I don't know the kid's name that ultimately that they got the ball down. But it was a horrible snap. The snap, the snap was almost went over his head. Catches it full extension with his arms, gets the ball down, puts it down just in time, makes the field goal. He misses that. I'm not suggesting that the, the game 100% goes the opposite direction, but again, if it goes over his head, completely something we would be talking about right now about how you can't find a guy that can just snap the football right. But other than that hole, would you say the officiating was good? No, no, no. I'm talking about the oh, hold. Oh, the hole. You're talking about the actual hold on the kick. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, I see. Not I see. the refs. I see. I'm talking about the, the actual hold by the by the punter, the placeholder. Okay, I see. I see now. I see. It was an unbelievable. If you, if you like glossed over that or whatever, I definitely, um, I definitely didn't notice. Go that. back. Go back and uh, just, if you could find it, go back and watch that clip. Uh, we're not going to run it for copyright purposes, but my point is, is that it was a great hold. And. That guy deserves somebody on the airwaves giving him credit, even if it's me. Uh, last thing I was going to say was Brock Purdy had a chance to cement, cement his legacy um, on about – there was five minutes left in the game. He ended up get you know ended up just being a field goal, yes. But uh, like it or not, if he goes down the field and scores right there, they win the Super Bowl, we'd be talking about how the fact that he's, he's going to be the next whatever. And here's my thing with Brock. This is my last point, and we'll move forward here into uh, some other stuff like college basketball. And we'll talk about the refs right after that. Uh, I I think Brock Purdy is a perfectly average quarterback. I think he can win. Uh, he, he can win a Super Bowl with a good team. I think I think Brock Purdy can win a Super Bowl with the Chiefs' defense. If you flip the quarterbacks, no. listen to me. If you flip the quarterbacks, I do know that the 49ers win the Super Bowl. And that was the difference. You could say whatever you want about the fact that I sat here and suggested that it wasn't the quarterbacks that ultimately were the ultimate deciding factor. But I will admit 
that if the roles were reversed, that I do think that whether it's experience or whether it's just you're a better quarterback, obviously Patrick Mahomes was a huge advantage over Brock Purdy. But I don't know why that has to be a negative towards Brock Purdy. I'm okay with just calling Brock Purdy an average NFL quarterback. He's not a bum, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, 100%. That's what, I, that's what we've all been saying. It said he's an average quarterback. He's well, not a, I, I he's think not a great quarterback. I think it's, I think it's, he's a game manager. I, I, you, don't, you didn't trust that Brock Purdy was going to win that game. You didn't. And, and if you say you did, you're lying to yourself. Because at no point in that game was he even close to, to being the X factor for the 49ers. I'm not saying Mahomes was for the Chiefs. I'm just saying it wasn't even close with Purdy. I think he was 12 for 24 at one point for 124 yards. I, I, and again, I, I'm not trying to bash Brock Purdy, but let's be very clear. If he, if he went to the Chiefs, could he be good? Sure, if, he had, if, he, if they added Christian McCaffrey. If they if they got Christian McCaffrey with him, if then, everyone yeah, around him doesn't make mistakes, though, they win that Super Bowl going away. I yeah. mean, g- genuinely, they do. True. They do, and that's where it's hard for me to sit here and suggest that that he can't win a Super Bowl, or you know, uh, he he's he's lesser than what I thought of him before. I take away, and this is hard to do, but I take away the same thought that I had with Brock Purdy going into that game than I do going away from it. There was a chance, though, that he could have cemented his legacy twice. one way or the other. He could have cemented it twice. I'm just saying, though, he could have thrown an interception, and it would have been, oh, look, Brock Purdy made the mistake. He, he was the reason they lost. He did not do that. Let's, let's all at least admit that he didn't do that. He gave his team as good of a chance to win as you can if you're going to be a quote-unquote game manager. I think that's what all quarterbacks are, though, a little bit. There's, very, there's a select few quarterbacks in this league that ultimately – are above and beyond better than everybody else that gives their team a way better chance to win than not. I don't know, like, and this is where, again, I'm not trying to sound like a hater towards Patrick Mahomes, but outside the plays that he made with his feet, which is a big part of the game, I'm not saying it's not. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes made any plays yesterday that made me think, wow, the only person on the world and the only person in the world that is going to be able to make that play is Patrick Mahomes. Now, to be fair, the he made yard, the plays. Yeah, the 52-yard pass to Nicole Hardman was elite. I see you That's and that's a throw that Purdy I, had, Purdy had that uh, that same throw. This is where you this is where again, let's all laugh at Trace. This is where you lose me because honestly, that wasn't a very good throw. Yeah, it like, was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. I'm sorry that the 49ers safety just decided he was in La La Land and completely forgot where he was at, which was the Super Bowl, and he had a ball that was thrown in his direction that he could have had just as good of a chance to catch as the other guy. Yeah. Now, I will say he made the play, and maybe you could convince me that Patrick Mahomes knew that his guy was going to make the play, and he knew that that safety was incompetent. Maybe you're right, and if he did, kudos on him. But there wasn't, again, these unbelievable plays last night that made me think, wow, it was all it was all Patrick Mahomes or Brock Purdy. All right. Um, referees, I'm going to finish it on this because I know one thing. If it was a referee's fault or the referees got in the way last night, we'd be talking about it at length, and that's why I wanted to give some credit here. I thought the referees did a more than good job. I would give them an A-plus, if we're being honest. Every big call that they made, I think they got the call right. And they stayed out of the way. They stayed out of the way. If you think that they should have called holding, I see people online talking about how all the Chiefs hold every single play, this, that, and the other. Listen, unless the holding is egregious, unless you think that that holding affected the overall play 100%, then you don't call it. Let it be a clean game. Let's not muddy the waters here. And they didn't do that one second. There was a point where I thought they were going to on the Kyle Juszczyk catch 
when nobody on, nobody in the world knows what a catch is in the NFL. Right. Uh, and obviously, Des Bryant had a very funny tweet. He said that's not a – he came out of the woodwork and said absolutely not a catch. Uh, but, no, I, the referees did an admirable job yesterday. It, the, the, best, the best thing a referee can do – is have nobody remember their performance because that's how little li- how little of an impact they made in terms of uh, egregious calls. And they did an admirable job. Vinovich and the boys had them all dialed up. So congratulations to the refs. Probably the best officiated game of the season, and that's because it's the best group of officials uh, on the year. That's what happens when you get when you ref in the Super Bowl. They compile the best officiating crews. So yeah. that's what it is. And that was it was a hell of a job. Uh, Mouse, Mouse Cop and Sir Boy are, are complaining about the, the spots where, you know, obviously officials might not have marked the ball exactly where the guy went down at. I, I, uh, I've become less and less tolerable on that with the referees as I do just use technology. At some point, can we just use technology? I know we have it. You can't convince me we don't. It, this is the National Football League. It's a billion-dollar empire. It's a billion-dollar empire. We can figure a way out, Okay to put a chip in the football. These chips are, are, are microchips. They're not going to affect the football in any shape. Uh, in fact, I believe I read somewhere where there are, already, there are already chips in the football that are already being played with because of they want the uh, analytical data that comes with that, and they want to be able to use that for the next-gen stats and all that. Well, if that's the case, then how about we just use that uh, as a perfect way of knowing where the ball should be spotted based off some kind of uh, video time code, when we can match it up to when exactly when his knee hits the ground, we can then say, okay, sync that up with the video. Tell me exactly where the ball should be placed. That's, that's something that shouldn't, I don't, I don't want to say shouldn't be a thing, but it, it seems like we're, we're at a place now where we should be able to do that. All right, uh, we're going to do some ad reads here next. And right after that, we're going to talk about refereeing again. But this time, it's going to be for the UC Bearcats and the Houston Cougs and why I don't think it was that big of a deal. But I'm sure that Elliot will probably argue with me. But let's pay the bills. Casey? Yeah, the uh, Bearcat report that we're going to do here in a second is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Where? And uh, right here. Where? Here. Oh, right there. Right here. And let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com so where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF, drink lots of Pawnee Water, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. One thing I wanted to add about the uh, Nickelodeon broadcast, since you yeah. did the whole nick-nick-nick thing, uh, Dora made an appearance as well. I saw that. And uh, she was she was basically it felt like she was mocking me a little bit because uh, none of the teams could find a way to score. And she brought up using her map to find a way to score. And, uh, yeah, made it for a tough night. Did you did you have any friends over? Did you have any friends over? I I had Thomas over. Yeah. Okay, so I had a couple buddies over. We had about we had four guys and uh, we we bought way too much food. I think we expected a couple more guys. They didn't show. Uh, We had like 25 chicken tenders from Cane's. No Ooh. free ads. Uh, we had a couple pizzas. 
We had Saratoga chips, so it's a, a massive pan of Saratoga chips from Ron's Roost. No free ads. And there was four guys. It was, <laughs> it was, I had the Tums ready to go. For a day like yesterday, and again, I'm battling through it this morning. You have to eat the Tums before you start eating. Then you eat the Tums at halftime. And then but right before bed, you take another one. And, and really, it's just a battle. You're just in a war the whole night long. Uh, and we'll see how this day goes. But obviously, I, I'm, in, I'm in a battle of, uh, of a lifetime here dealing with, with what I consumed in my palate yesterday. But it was a hell of a game. It was very fun. It was a very fun game. I had. Uh, I thought the game was going to be bad. There was a yeah. point during that game where I thought it was really It really, ended up really being bad. good. It ended, it ended up being great. It ended up when it went into overtime. It ended up being a great game. That's what I would say. I would but say so too. I also had uh, some food as well. I had cowboy casserole, chili dip. Oh yeah, yeah that was a, that was good. Um, before we move on, though, we do have some super, super chats, chats to read. Right. So Drew Garrison with a ten dollars super chat. Let's see if this new one works. Ooh, look how clean that looked. Ten dollars super chat from Drew Garrison. This is the most important show in Cincinnati media. Promote Elliot to CEO. Thank you. I accept. And uh, T. Brookie, a $2 super chat. Outstanding post-Super Bowl wrap-up, guys. Thank you, T. Brookie. We appreciate your super chat. Trace? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for the support, as always. I, I like. Here's the thing. Um, obviously, the show moving forward, we're going to do our best, and we hope it grows. And obviously, Tom, is, is uh, he's trying to figure out when he's going to start doing his Monday show to be clear uh, to finish up here quickly with uh, kind of Tom plans moving forward. Uh, Tom's going to do a Monday recap show. Uh, it starts. That's going to start at 9.15 in the morning, run up right into this show. And then uh, he's going to have a um, uh, basically a tape show that he's going to put um, on airwaves on Fridays. So he's going to kind of book in the week. Um, and then from our standpoint, we're going to do our best to talk local sports as much as possible. And then obviously uh, discuss national narratives that seem to be obvious. Uh, Super Bowl clearly is one of those. And I, I the, the, the finish out the uh, the uh, Super Bowl, we have the poll here. Uh, for those that are listening to podcast forum, the question again was, what was the most impactful play of the Super Bowl? Blocked extra point. Uh, muff punt, fourth and one conversion, or other. I'm assuming other is going to be along the lines of the fumble recoveries. The winning uh, question, if you want to call it there, the winning answer, uh, 55% was muff punt. And blocked extra point came in second at 28%, followed by fourth and one conversion at 11%, and then other 7%. Uh, I think the fumbles got overlooked a little bit, largely because each team got one. Uh, if, if San Fran didn't get the fumble recovery on Pacheco in the, in the red zone, then we would have talked about how big a Christian McCaffrey's fumble was. If Pacheco fumbled and Christian McCaffrey didn't, we would have talked about how big Pacheco's fumble was. Yeah. But just because both teams kind of got that, it seems like we kind of had offsetting penalties, if you want to call it that. And we kind of just pushed that to the side. I don't think either one of those, yes, huge play in the game by all stretch of the imagination, but it's almost like one side got it and the other side got it. So that really wasn't the deciding factor at the end of the day. Um, that's kind of where my head was with both of those plays. Pacheco was kind of had a had the yips a little bit there. He he, he fumbled another one. That it was did, a bad toss. It was though. a bad toss. It was a bad toss, but it's still a fumble on his part. If, if if that if he loses it, now he recovered it, so nobody was going to talk about it ever, and they won the Super Bowl. So who cares anyway? But there was a point where I thought Pacheco was dealing with the yips. Now, obviously, the big the the big muffed punt is 
arguably, and then I don't think you can really even argue it. I think it's the biggest play of the game. But yeah, I think at the beginning, uh, everyone was like, what is that guy doing? He's an idiot. Why is he trying to grab the ball? I, well, I think a lot of people thought that, and yeah. then obviously they showed that it that it, uh, that it obviously hit the, the, the guy blocking downfield, hit, hit his foot, and then he tried to make an excellent play, and unfortunately for him, it just didn't work out. There's, apparently, um, there was seven fumbles. I'm just looking at the box score right now. There were seven fumbles on the game, but six of them were recovered by Kansas City, and the other one was – the other two were – lost for San Francisco or one of them was lost for Kansas City and two were lost for San Francisco it's kind of crazy sorry we Fair by enough. the way we yeah. had an ins this is the last thing I'll talk about the Super Bowl we had an inside source and I won't I won't give away <laughs> yes, our we sources <laughs> we had an inside source hear the exact time of the national anthem in a rehearsal I won't tell you the source because I can't reveal my sources that time was hit on the dot me and Tra Trace and I both recorded it. It was 1.35. Now, there were rumors on X.com yes, that are. the second Brave didn't count. Yeah. I think that counts. Why does that not count? The whole, the whole, you have to sing the whole song. And she sang it until she was done. That's when you stopped the clock. I can't agree more. How is it How is it to where you're betting on an over-under on how long the national anthem is going to last? And it's a simple concept. Why do we got to make things complicated in this country that aren't complicated? Yes. You start the song, right when you hear the first lyric sang, you start the clock. Guess what? You don't stop the clock until the last lyric is sang. Whether you want to call it, if they want to add their own rendition, so be it. That seems ridiculous that they wouldn't have counted that. Now to be to be that's nonsense. Lucky for me is they they didn't count it. It would have gone under. We were obviously betting the over. Correct. I couldn't find where to bet it at all on any of the books. I think it was unavailable in uh, North America, is what I've been yeah. told. So I didn't get a chance to bet it. If I would have bet it, I would have been. It would have probably been topic A on the show today. I'd have been more than pissed. I have a group chat with about twenty guys, and we do a Super Bowl prop sheet every year. That was one of the options. We had a lot. We had about a twenty-five minute discussion whether or not it should count. Uh, we we has to count. We decided that it counts. How can it not count? It's, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah. Oh, and Post Malone did. I, I do want to mention Post Malone did a phenomenal job uh, for America the Beautiful. That was the best uh, rendition of America the Beautiful I've ever heard. So shout out to Post Malone as well. That's the last thing I'll mention uh, regarding this super. <laughs> might maybe you might maybe. as well just stop saying that. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of officiating, obviously it was a main point of discussion on X.com along uh, other places as well in Bearcat fandom. UC hosted the fifth-ranked Houston Cougars. They came into town, and unfortunately they weren't able to get it done. We do have some comments from Wes Miller, and we'll talk about it right after you hear his comments. Well, certainly uh, disappointed in the result. I thought we, we had a real opportunity there against the top-five team in the country thought the, the environment was as good as you can have in college basketball. The, uh, the appreciation that uh, I think our, I have and our team players and our staff have for the people that come out and support us like that, I, I, I'll tell you, it matters. It's appreciated. I'm sorry we couldn't get over the hump a couple more possessions tonight. We're going to need that because we got another big one coming in on Tuesday night. It's like, you know, like this league is. Um, I thought I've come to kind of have an expectation because these guys have set a standard for how they respond and how they fight. So I'm proud of the, you know some of the the moments where we kind of came back and figured out how to get get into the game, especially the way we finished the first half. Or there was a really uh, a couple stretches in the second half where it was good, um, but 17 offensive rebounds hard to overcome. And we pride ourselves on being a rebounding team and a team tough and quick to the ball. 
and uh, you know they, they came in and got 17 and set set a tone right from the start. We- all right, so you know I, I don't know how much is said there that we really all wouldn't have agreed with and or believed. Uh, the, the thing is this: you can always point to officiating as being one of the reasons as as to why it didn't go your way, and and certainly UC was on on the end of a couple calls that that seemed questionable. There's no doubt about it. But there's a couple things that I take away from this UC team. Um, one of them is is the consistency certainly is not going to be there, I don't think, all year long because the type of players they have, they just don't have any what I would call dudes. I think they got some young guys that are very, very good by all stretch of the imagination. That's why I want to keep giving a little bit of a longer leash to Wes Miller. But this team as a whole right now, when you look at them, there's not a whole lot of scariness to them. How many of these guys would you consider to be elite level players and or what we would call good players in Power 5 conferences? There's not many. There's not many. The one thing they do do that you can be proud about if you're a UC fan is they do play hard. They do play hard. And they have one specific situation going on right now that is going to have to get addressed. And that's Victor Locken. There's two sides of the aisle right now on Victor Lockwood. There's two stories to tell. One is that this guy was one of the only bright spots that this team had for, for an extended period of time throughout what we would call the darker days of this program. He certainly has looked as a guy that you could build, if you want to call it that, a little bit of a rebuild around. He's been given a little bit of a leash right now because of the play that he's had before. The question comes down to, and the question I have is, was the play that he had before because of the competition that he was playing? Or is the play that he has before because he's actually pretty good and he's just not playing good right now? I would be in the camp that there's not time to waste. You can't have that figured out. This guy played 13 minutes of basketball against the Houston Cougars the other night. In his plus-minus was negative 15. (laughs) The Houston Cougars scored 65 points in the entire game. And your plus minus is negative 15. Now, for those that don't know what that means, it's simply put, when you come into the game, what's the score? When you leave the game, what's the score? Is your team up points or is your team down points? You add that up the whole entire game, and then you figure out when you were on the court, was your team winning or was your team losing? Negative 15. Starts the game off, shoots three three pointers. Doesn't make any of them. Completely outmatched, completely out physical. Whatever term you want to use, there's not a whole lot there. Now, the question is, is do you want to get mad at Vic or do you want to get mad at Wes or do you just want to say, you know what, now's not our time? I don't know where you want to start. But ultimately, the one thing that I keep taking away that every single time UC gets in a game like this, It feels as if they don't have the better players. Dan Skillings, yes. Shows signs of brilliance. Can be great. But the consistency is just not there. And you can make the case in point that, hey, Trace, he's just a sophomore. Or, hey, Trace, this guy's just a freshman. Jizzle James could be a superstar. Jizzle James 
is one of the brighter spots that this program has had in quite some time. But at the end of the day, what does it really matter right now? C.J. Frederick, I get it. He's been hurt. He's a guy that maybe can help you score. Simus Lukosius, yes, he's a guy that at times looks the part. He can make some shots. But at the end of the day, he's not consistent either. This team's full of guys that are inconsistent. So again, I ask the question, and obviously, Elliot, you're a guy that watches this team night in, night out. That's correct. At some point, you got to recruit some guys that can score the basketball and they can shoot and help from the outside. This team has, right? You thought Simus might be that. Oh, I never thought that. But C.J. Frederick's a guy that obviously people pointed to, but he's had injury histories throughout his entire career, and guess what? He's been hurt. This UC team moving forward, they have a game tomorrow night against Iowa State at home. It's a must win. Yes? I don't know. I, I, I don't fall into the camp that it's a must win. I, I don't think so. We still There's still a lot of basketball left to be played against p- opponents that I think we can beat, whether it's on the road or at home. I, I don't think it's a must win game. I think, it's, I think the time for, as, as Reed likes to make the joke about, the time for moral victories, you're out of those. You're fresh out of moral victories. It's great, that we were in, we're, it's great that we're competitive in every single Big 12 game. That's awesome. It's great that we've lost seven Big 12 games by a combined 20 points. It's great. But at some point, you have to win. At some point, the moral victories, that, that's, that's, that's got to stop. And that's unfortunately where we are. As for Victor Locken, the worst part about this situation, I, my opinion on Victor Locken is he's not a good enough big man in the Big 12. It's just not going to happen. He played in the American. He looked good in the American. He looked good against Stetson and Merrimack and Eastern Washington. When it comes to big competition and you're dealing with NBA players, it's, it's hard for me to rationalize Victor Locken getting significant playing time. I have some stats for you. Over the last six games, this is over the last six games, he missed one of the games. Field goals. Victor Locken, he's four for 28. He is four for 28 from the field over his last six. He averages five boards over that span. He's seven feet tall. He averages five boards. He has nine turnovers. Three-point percentage because he he continues to shoot threes nonstop. He shot 11 threes in those games, Trace. How many has he made? You want to take a guess? I'm going to go with uh, zero. That's correct. He hasn't made a three-pointer. He's 0 for 11 in the last six games. We don't have a, The issue is we don't have an option. Some are saying he's due. <laughs> Some are saying he's due. Aziz, again, another seven-foot center. And, and everybody knows the only thing we know about Houston is that they can offensive rebound the basketball. They will get every offensive board in the world. And they destroyed us. They had 17 offensive rebounds compared to our nine. Aziz, who was seven feet tall, had one rebound. Our big men, the, all, the big men that, that really were the heart and soul of this team coming into the year, assuming they got their waivers, eight rebounds in that game yesterday. We have a guy, John Newman, who you two sit over here and slander. He has a double-double, and the, all this guy does is contribute. I took it back. Def, he took it back. Casey still has his slander on the table. John Newman, if we don't have John Newman, John Newman plays the role of three different, three different positions. He's a wing, he's a shooter when he needs to be, and he's a center when he needs to be because God knows we don't have a center that can grab a ball. 
I don't know. I, I, I the, the time for moral victories is over. It's clear this team can't shoot three-pointers to save their life. The consistency isn't there from really anybody except for Newman. He's the only consistent scorer we have. Simas, I can't knock Simas because he's had games where he's been the only player that can shoot. But he played 35 minutes and he scored six points. And one of them was a banked-in three in the last five minutes. I, 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 I'm not going to say this is not a tournament team because I still in my heart believe defensively they are up to the task. They are a top 15 defensive team in, in all of college basketball. But you have to be able to score at a consistent level, and they don't do it. None of them do. Yesterday it was Jizzle. Jizzle James hasn't had a game like that really uh, since the non-conference. Day-Day was irrelevant. Now, Day-Day is a great defender, but he doesn't give you offense. Dan Skillings is a great offender, but then he doesn't play offense when you need him to. He had nine points in the first half. He had four in the second. Yesterday, we had a guy, Juwan Roberts. I, 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 this is a fun little nugget. Juwan Roberts of Houston. He's played 123 college basketball games, Trace. Yeah, I know where this is going. He's had 14 or more points in 15 games. Out of those 15 games, four of them have, against, have been against UC. Torches us. No answers. At some point, you're going to need guys to step up. Jameel Reynolds, non-factor. Absolutely terrible. And, and this is love and respect. Maybe he was rusty from getting screwed by the NCAA. But he's been terrible. Aziz, God love him. Great defensively. Horrible offensively. Victor Locke, irrelevant. We need consistency, and we don't have it. We are one, and I, I'm the biggest proponent of Quincy Oliveri. We're, we're one Quincy Oliveri away from being great. I, yeah. I really believe that. Uh, yeah, but that's easy to say. Quincy Oliveri sure. is, is an excellent player. Like, it's a, a it's fantastic great. player. And I don't argue if Xavier didn't have Quincy Oliveri, they would be by far uh, a team that would be... A uh, basement of the Big East would be a strong term to use here, but I would ultimately say that if they don't have Quincy Oliveri, they are, they are toast. They are toast. Uh, the same issue that UC has is the same issue that Xavier has in a way, is that there's not a whole lot of depth on the interior side of the ball. Uh, there's not a whole lot of depth in the front court. It is, in fact, not just the fact that there's no depth, but there's really even a weakness there. There's no one that you can point to and say, you know what, I know what I'm going to get on a night-in, night-out basis. If Aziz Mandego is supposed to be a guy that's a rim protector and a rebounder, and he doesn't provide you anything offensively, then you can live with that, as long as he's doing the things that you thought he was going to do. Correct. But he's not. Against higher-level competition, he's not. And now the question ultimately comes down to, what do you expect? What do you want it to be? Do you want... Do you, do, you, do you expect to win these games more times than not if you are a UC fan right now? I don't know. Wes Miller obviously inherited a pretty tough situation. The only guy left that, that really was a part of the previous regime is Victor Locken, and everybody's obviously upset with him. Many of the players, by the way, that have left UC because uh, Brandon left have gone on and they're playing at places like Seattle and Portland. And it's not like it's not like he had a good group of guys there waiting in the wings for Wes when he got there. So I give Wes Miller some credit in the sense that, you know what? He's being competitive. And you can say whatever you want about the moral victories, and I get it. And, and certainly Xavier fans shouldn't make fun of that. That's what I would do if I was a Xavier fan. And UC fans can become frustrated because you're right there and you just can't get over the hump. But it does look promising, if nothing else. The question ultimately comes down to, in a day and age of the transfer portal, can Wes Miller find somebody out of the transfer portal that is a la Quincy Olivari or a la 
the kid that Xavier got last year in uh, Sule Boom. Those are the types of players that you can pull out of the portal and they immediately help your team. I don't see anybody on this team. Now, Jameer Reynolds has another year of eligibility. Please correct me if I'm wrong on any of these guys. Correct. Aziz Bandego has another year of eligibility. Correct. Uh, obviously, Newman is gone. But, gone. but outside of those two guys, what is, your, like, what is the future in the front court? You need help down there. If you didn't know you needed help, you found out when the Houston Cougars were all over the glass. Now, to be fair, the Houston Cougars average 14 offensive rebounds a game. They got 17 against UC. There's a lot of UC fans that are saying, I mean, we can't grab a rebound. Well, that's to be fair, that's largely because you played Houston. But how in the world does Houston find three, four, five of these guys down low? They just rotate them in and out, rotate them in and out, and they're just, they do nothing but grab boards. Now, the last thing I want to say here with UC before we move on is this. We would be having a, a completely different conversation if Houston didn't make some great shots. Houston showed why they were a top 10 team in the country down the stretch. UC didn't lose the game. Houston won it. I don't know if you watched the game, but Houston came down on two possessions where they needed a basket. They had to have a basket. And they hit a little 15-foot a pull-up jumper the first time. And the second time, Day-Day Thomas played about as good a defense as humanly possible. And the, the off-guard, if you and it wasn't Sheed, it was the off-guard for Houston, made a, I don't want to call it a circus shot, but it was an unbelievable shot. Made a two-point game, a four-point game, two different times. Crazy how many of those shots go in against UC. Uh, the Texas game was another one of them that just it's just they're soul crushing. But credit to them, they made the shots. My last nugget on it is officiating was terrible. Uh, obviously, the, the big call being a jump ball which went Houston's way. I forget who was defending Cmos, but Cmos had the ball. They grabbed his arm. No contact with the basketball whatsoever. Grabbed his arm uh, instead of a foul. It's a jump ball. It's Houston's ball. I thought officiating was horrible throughout the entirety of that game. Uh, for both sides, really. I thought it was inconsistent, and I thought it was bad. So, shout out to those guys. Uh, you did it again. Uh, Xavier, obviously, on the other end of the spectrum, they uh, they didn't look good at all, right? And they got they got kind of uh, the brakes beat off of them in their own, their own arena. And at this point right now, you got to ask the question of what it is that you expect from Xavier. They're going to be a bubble team more than likely going into the NCAA tournament. That is, if they can find a few more wins on their resume. Uh, you, you, listen. Xavier has an excuse and a valid one at that. You can't expect to lose two guys the way that they lost them going into this season. And they obviously still have to take up roster spots that were going to be huge, impactful players for you and expect it to not be a little bit of a rough ride. They very much like you see uh, they they just don't have the interior play that they need in order to be elite. The Callbrenner kid, like it or not, had his way a little bit. And Quincy Olivari and Desmond Claude and McKnight, they're going to be able to carry Xavier to be competitive in some pretty big games because those three guys right there are pretty damn good. And they're good enough to get that team to the tournament. The question is, is can they find two other guys to help them out? I don't know. Um, all right. We said the show was going to run from 10A to 12, maybe. 
We're not sure. I think it's well. I think it's eleven thirty ish. I think it's eleven thirty, um, and then anything after that, some bonus content. Fair enough. But here's the thing: I do want to talk about this really quickly before we move on to uh, to obviously topics for tomorrow to discuss. Appreciate everybody obviously joining us and uh, our first show here without Tom. Tom, as as always, we'll uh, continue to say it because people will eventually will ask us the question: Where is he at? Where is he at? We'll just have to keep answering the question. Plans to do a show obviously on Monday morning recaps. He'll be here on Fridays to have a uh, tape show as well. Um, and, and another thing is I'm actually trying to find my replacement, if you want to call it that. Uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully, I can find my replacement. And in the meantime, you think I do a decent enough job to can I'm just trying to, like I said, right the ship here. Just trying to keep everybody on the ship, make sure that everybody's happy. We keep it moving. We talk about things that you want to talk about, and we have fun doing it. All right, uh, final topic of conversation today is the uh, probably something that maybe many of you could care less about, but I think we can make it interesting. I think it's something that is a relatively reasonable conversation about business in general, and that is the PGA Tour, and what are they going to do about the waste op- uh, the waste management open? For those that don't know, the waste management open is held at Phoenix every single year. It's usually right around the time of the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's, to be fair to me, I, I, I don't know if it's the Super Bowl week every single year, but it's right around that time frame. And they've become known for their stadium seating on the 16th hole, which is a par three. It gets ruckus. It gets loud. There's really no golf etiquette, if you want to call it that. The white collar in golf goes completely away, becomes a little more blue collar. And it's become known as a little more of a party atmosphere. And it's fun. It's an enjoyable thing. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. Uh, That was until this Saturday. Uh, this Saturday, things kind of got off the rails a little bit. Started off with the fact that they sold tickets. They weren't scanning the tickets to get in. So they realized this about halfway through. People were getting in there that didn't have tickets, and people that had tickets were still staying and waiting in this big, long line. And the next thing you know, you found out that, oh, by the way, just because you have tickets, we're going to have to give you a a refund because we have way too many people in the premises already. And unfortunately, you're going to not be able to enter, even though you already paid for a ticket. That's strike number one. Strike number two is a situation that, well, happens when you drink a lot of alcohol. Uh, I, I, I don't suggest that it's something that we should be proud about as a society, but it happens. We all know what it is. You drink a lot of alcohol, you do things you probably normally wouldn't do. You make a fool of yourself. If you hadn't seen the Waste Management Open, and you didn't see what happened on Saturday, we're going to show you a few clips to catch you up to speed, and then we're going to talk about what it is the PGA Tour should do, where they're at with it, and what they're going to do moving forward. Somebody said it. I'm, I'm just sick of it. Just shut up. Oh, don't, don't serve me. Somebody said it. I'm- All right. So you can see, obviously, golfers are starting to get frustrated. People are making fools of themselves. It got so bad that, uh, unfortunately, the waste management, as you can see in a tweet here, they had to 
suspend alcohol sales. 30 fans blacked out on Saturday. There was a woman that fell off the grandstands. And unfortunately, like it or not, the drink responsibly wasn't taken seriously. Listen, this isn't about some moral hierarchy of whether or not you should do what you do when you go to a place or whether you should handle yourself and how you should conduct yourself. Obviously, those are individual decisions that are made on each individual personal basis. But what I will say is obviously from a league standpoint, from a from a business standpoint, at some point you have to take control of your own your own event. And that's what they try to do. It got a little loose. And unfortunately, it's built up to this point. I hope the PGA Tour realizes that this is something they can manage and control and you don't just take it away. Now, the players, some of them are just babies. I, we can call a spade a spade sometimes around here. Sometimes these golfers, they, they, you know, listen, they fly around on their private jets. They get their own massage therapist. They're making millions of dollars. And they're living a pretty lavish lifestyle, right? And, and it's it's reasonable to suspect that if you have that happen over the course of your life, over maybe a year, two, three years down the line, you become pretty soft. You become pretty soft. And that is, well, most golfers. It would be nice if we could find a way where, again, maybe there is some etiquette. And that's where we want to, I want to talk through this a little bit with you uh, around the room is this. I think that there should be some etiquette on a backswing, right? Like, okay, you can't scream and yell right in the middle of someone's backswing, but we're allowed to discuss and have conversation the whole entire time. There can be a buzz around the stadium, right? There can be a buzz around the stadium. And by stadium, I mean the whole entire golf course. It'd be really nice if we could find a way to where this is the one outlier event that, again, the fans are able to be a little more vocal than usual, and it becomes more or less like a football atmosphere. It'd be nice to see that on the golf course. It'd be nice to see that on the golf course. If you hit a bad shot because you don't like the way that somebody, you know, it sounds out there, or there's too much yelling going on, this, that, and the other, then so be it. I'm pretty sure that the PGA Tour could get smart enough to where they'd, they'd just pump in white noise on every hole if they wanted to, right? You could, you could pump in artificial sounds to where there's not one guy when it's silent, you can just scream and it, and it and obviously becomes very, very distracting. I would prefer them to go that route than the alternative route, which is, hey, we're going back to the way the PGA Tour has always been. Shut up. Don't say nothing. Everyone's got to be quiet. And if you don't, we're going to kick you off the premises. The PGA Tour has an excellent opportunity, in my opinion, to win some golf fans, if you want to call it, some just general sports fans over because this is a different way to be able to get into golf. Do you feel like anything that happened over the weekend, Elliot, was an overreaction by the waste management? Or was it a situation now where the PGA Tour has to do what's in the best interest of their league, and that is basically to kick fans out and make sure this doesn't happen again? That was a disgrace. What happened this weekend was a disgrace. And, and, and again, you, you almost have to market it this way, and that's really what you started your, your point on, is that the PGA, obviously it's known as this very strict follow-the-rules uh, type of thing and, and you get this one event per year one event where you just get to be crazy you just get to act like a fool it's basically the fans versus the players you get to rattle everybody and it becomes this sort of team thing for the fans just to all pile on top of every player out there every golfer out there 
we're at a point now where unfortunately you have to get rid of the event, not in terms of what it is, the waste management opens not going anywhere, but in terms of the craziness, you, you can't let a little bit of crazy because the little bit of crazy ensues more crazy and then it just piles on top. I think there are babies out there. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what was being said, but there were, everybody was, all the golfers, a lot of the golfers were tweeting afterwards how terrible it was during back, during back swings, just screaming, yelling. Uh, it, it became a place that just, it, it's not golf. Uh, you, we make fun of the Happy Gilmore movie, <laughs> Damn You People, This Is Golf. Uh, but at some point, it actually is. Like, I, I, when Trace and I played tennis, right, Trace made the joke where tennis, you have to be quiet during certain parts because it's going to distract you. It's golf's the same exact way. You can't yell during a guy's backswing. There is, you have to have, you have a little bit of concentration there. I'm all for fun. I'm all for, I'm all for making things like that, like a, a pseudo Ryder Cup atmosphere where everybody's wild, uh, going crazy. Uh, but it takes, it, it does take away from the event. And, and what the event is, is, is a golf tournament. Shout out to, by the way, and nobody watched the end of it because it led right into the Super I Bowl. did. Did you? I did. I, I had so a, sec like Charlie, a separate team. Charlie Hoffman had a three-shot lead with, I want to say, five holes to go or six holes to go. Yeah, I bet 20. Well, I bet some money on Charlie Hoffman to win. By the way, Charlie Hoffman was the uh, – it turns out that the joke's on me, by the way, because yeah. now I look like an idiot for saying what I'm about to say. I still am convinced that's the greatest – that was the greatest odds-on value that I've ever received from the sports books ever. He had a three-shot lead. He had a three-shot lead uh, with one hole to play, and you could get you could get Charlie Hoffman at plus money. It was like plus one ten for him to win. Now oh he, all, he obviously didn't win, so I guess I'm the idiot because I thought it was free money. And thankfully for me, I didn't you know uh, I didn't bet the the ranch on it. Hammer it. But but plus one ten. To, con to concede what you're getting ready to say, uh, I thought it was a, a for sure guarantee. But what happened, Elliot? Well, that would be Nick Taylor. This is a Canadian, a young Canadian man who obviously birdied 18, forced to play off, and beat Charlie Hoffman uh, to win uh, an electric tournament. Uh, but, yeah, I, to answer your initial question, unfortunately, this will probably be the last year of, of going absolutely crazy. There's going to be uh, a stricter policy when it comes to alcohol consumption at this event. And it should be. And it should be. We can't, we can't have – the heckling thing's fine and dandy, but you can't, like, ruin the game. I agree. My, only, my, my complaint more is, on the, is more on the operational side of the waste management open, like, whoever runs that event, than it is of the actual, like, the way that, it, that, it, that the event has kind of morphed into. I think that the, the loud atmosphere for this one event can help the game of golf. Like, I – and by, you know, listen, the whole live thing – I don't think the, 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 the live play louder and that whole thing, I think that's a little bit of a joke. It does stink that obviously the Dustin Johnsons, the DeChambeaus, the um, John Roms now aren't available to watch on the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour, in my opinion, is just a superior product. Now, I know many people may argue that, and I don't blame them for taking the money, quite frankly. Kudos to them. But the point is is that obviously live uh, dies by the idea of it being fun, this, entertaining atmosphere don't know if you caught the clip of it obviously we can run it we can run it maybe um tomorrow but john rom's just pissed off at the world i don't know if you've seen that at the I live golf event um yeah Why is he mad? in fact we'll make that the cherry on top for today if you can pull that clip up just type in john rom live it'll probably pop up but uh ultimately listen my point is simple i would love for there to be a golf tournament where there was a football atmosphere for golf on every hole and I think that they could get that done if they made grandstands on every single hole 
and they they just do what hopefully every other organization does, which is manage people that are having alcohol. You can't serve people alcohol if they're already belligerent. If they're belligerent while they're there, maybe, I don't know, heighten up security where you can just start escorting these people out of there if they're belligerent. But again, I think it's gotten to the point where people clearly tailgate before they go in, right? They're, they're probably plastered when they walk through the gates. Um, I don't know if it's legal or not. Maybe it's it would take way too long. But if you feel like somebody's belligerent, there should be a breathalyzer test. Boom. If they blow over a certain number, Elliot, they're gone. Gone. Don't let a few bad apples ruin the whole bunch is what I'm well, getting at. And although that's how this society works. There's a it, lot of bad apples there. I, well, how now, many I feel people, like that was the whole tree. How many, I feel like the whole tree Elliot, was coming down there. How many people went to the, the waste management open? There's, I don't know. Somebody give me a number in the chat. 50,000 people? We got, we got videos of 20, 30, 40 people? 30 people not being able to remember who or where they are is a tough scene. I'm not suggesting that Ambulance it's not. is being called everywhere. I'm just saying you can't cancel the whole entire deal because 30 people. And listen, I'm not suggesting that that's good. I am saying that that is manageable. You can manage that. And waste maybe should be able to manage that. Like waste management open. Hopefully they could do something there to where you could figure that out. Rein it in, perhaps. I haven't found um, this John Rom clip, by the way. Is it, was it at a press conference? It's him on the tee box of a live event. And I could I can send it to you probably here on the fly. But um, I'll show it to you tomorrow if we can't find it. No big deal. All right. Uh, final parting thoughts before I head out. Here's the thing. We are going to do this show every single day. As a reminder, from 10A to a. maybe 12P. We're not sure. A. Huh? 1130A. What everything after 1130 is bonus fun. That's right. <laughs> whatever Elliot said. We're going to do it from 1130A, whatever's after it's bonus fun. you got to leave fun. the people wanting more. You gotcha. can't get tired at the end of the show. Right. Okay. Can't get tired wanting more. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Obviously not a whole lot of local sports talk because the Super Bowl. We'll get into all that. Obviously the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have some draft decisions to make. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. And the Cincinnati Reds, they're playing baseball soon. You should be excited about it. If you're not excited about it, that's fine. Just get you a longer bit of nap maybe. Sleep a little bit longer, and that way when you wake up, you won't be as less grouchy, and then, then you'll be excited about it. They have an exciting team. We'll talk a lot about them as well. Um... But until then, we don't have a cherry on top. We'll have one tomorrow. But we'll be back better than ever tomorrow. Box lunch. Box lunch is going to be free today. We should make it free. Free. And you're going to hear Reed Mouse tell you about how he was right. I hope you enjoy that. All right. Have a good day, everybody.